Tom Lowell wears many hats at Wake Chapel Church, and we're grateful that one of those hats he wears is to preach. And uh, he is going to come this morning and share with us on this Lord's Day and on this Father's Day. Tom uh, is also has served for many years, as all of our folks know, at TWR, but he's also, as many of you may not know, still serving on the board, and I think still you're the chairman of the board, right, at TWR, so is still very much involved in the ministry at Transworld Radio. Tom, thank you for coming and sharing God's Word with us. Tom Lowell. Good morning. I probably would feel more comfortable with a hard hat on this morning over in the construction area, but uh, I'm thankful to be here, thankful that the pastor trusts me to stand before you. That's not an automatic thing, and uh, I'm grateful to him that he does trust me. I'm having trouble with this microphone on my ear, and I've come to the conclusion that I have a deformed ear. So if you, if you see the thing go askew or see me rip it off, you'll understand uh, what my problem is. Um, I have been privileged, Glenda and I have been privileged to serve in missions for just over 50 years. And um, our hearts for missions continues to this day. I'm thankful that we are members of a church that supports missions, missions in our town, in our state, and then really to the ends of the earth. We support, I think, some 33 missions, more or less, and missionaries, and um, some of those sit with us. One of the things that is, uh, I'm grateful for is the fact that uh, Wake Chapel supports Transworld Radio. We have three missionary families, the Siegs, the Hollingers, and the Lowells, and we also support the general fund of Transworld Radio to the tune of $31,000 annually. Thank you, people, for being a part of the ministry of TWR. And those of you who are in Joe Fort's class have been studying Islam. Not an easy subject, but certainly one appropriate for the day in which we live, because they live among us, and they're not going to go away. Their authority, their power has impacted our own country, whether we realize it or not, and it has impacted the world. Many of these people live in areas that are outside of our country, like Indonesia, um, India, Northern Africa, Central Asia, just to name a few. There are millions of people who adhere to this false religion, and it behooves us, I think, as Christians to have at least a general understanding of Islam, what it is, what it isn't. This morning, I'd like to share with you just a brief video. This has nothing to do with my message this morning. This is just sort of an extra two cents that I want to throw in to encourage you regarding missions. It's the testimony of a former um, adherent to Islam and I think you'll enjoy and be challenged by hearing his testimony. 
When I heard the word Yeshua, Jesus, the first time I was, this is weird, um, who's this? And I kept listening, and then I heard all the blasphemies for me as a Muslim, like he was God himself appearing in a flesh. This is crazy. And then I heard he was crucified. He had our sins uh, on him. And I was like, this is insane. Who are these guys? At the end, they gave the, the, the address for the program. I wrote it quickly. I still remember I wrote it on my hand. And I was so full of anger and upset because they are using the Arabic language. They speak like us, but they are preaching different message. So I wrote a letter, a long letter. I think a few weeks later, they, they sent me a response. That started a whole process of correspondence back and forth. That radio station that I listened to, it was TWR. I tell people always, I, I don't know the date, the exact timing of when I was born in, in faith. I started doubting my faith and leaning toward the Christian faith progressively. So I sent a letter to my friends in, in TWR. I told one of the guys there, I, I think I'm a Christian because I have nothing in Islam left. They told me, we will connect you with somebody local. Who is this guy who lives here in Morocco and has the same thing like me? We made an appointment to meet downtown and then we met. And he started asking me all kinds of questions to make sure that I understand the Christian faith. And at the end he said, I think you're a believer. And he said, would you come if I invite you to a meeting where people like you meet? And that was a shock for me. People like me, what do you mean? He said, Moroccans. I said, Moroccans, Moroccans? He said, yeah, Moroccans, Moroccans. And I was like, I thought I'm the only one. He said, no, no, there are so many like you. And then I went to this meeting. I found out all of them almost have the same story. Radio, correspondence courses, and then coming to faith. It's almost identical with the whole group. And that's why I still believe in the power of gospel using media. Every young guy I met and who became a Christian in that frame let's say from 1980 until almost 2000, 
I ask him this simple question, how did you hear about the gospel first time? He will say TWR. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of meeting together, realizing that for multitudes around this world, they're held in bondage, and those who break out of that bondage have difficulty. Their lives are threatened, meeting together. So bless our time together, Lord. Would you speak through frail, feeble lips? to the hearts of your children and um, empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses in our world today. The title of my thoughts this morning is Finishing Well. Now, this is not just for elderly people. I think when uh, we think of finishing well, we think, well, we're coming to the end of life. Well, some of us are. Some of us are a little closer than others. But we have no idea how long God is going to give us for life. Young people die. Children die. Middle-aged people die. And, of course, the elderly die. When TWR had its headquarters in New Jersey, it was a bedroom community to New York City, a town by the name of Chatham. And Glenda and I were called back to Chatham because that's where the headquarters was at the time. And we had spent 15 years on two small islands, one in the Caribbean, and one out in the Pacific. For us, the move to a bedroom community to New York City, with all of the trappings that that city has to offer, was a culture shock, I think, much greater than we had when we made the transition to live in foreign countries. The pastor of the church that we attended was a wonderful Bible teacher. He was a relatively young man who had had uh, bypass surgery, and a number of those bypasses failed, and so he lived on on a thread. And I think that impacted his ministry. Pastor Paul Bubna is with the Lord right now, but when we would have leadership meetings at headquarters, we would often ask him to come and share the word with us. And he had a wonderful way of making the word practical. I appreciate the fact that the authors that I read and the pastors that I tend to listen to have the gift to take Scripture and relate it to where we are today, where I am today, and to make it practical rather than theoretical. 
Oftentimes, his thoughts shared to us would be along the theme, finish well. And as a relatively young man at that point in life and the father of four kids, I needed to hear this, and it resonated with me. Today is Father's Day. And one thing that I can say to both men and women is that we all had fathers. Some of us are fathers. Some of us are grandfathers. Some will be fathers. So this really is for all of you. And although the thoughts may be more specifically directed to men, it's directed to you ladies also. My message to you this morning is finish well. You know, if you like I am, you tend to look up and respect people who are in authority to those whose lives appear to be stellar, successful people who have made an impact on business, industry, on our community. There are men and women who have gained our trust, pastors, Sunday school teachers, deacons, members of the Christian faith that we look up to. And I suspect that you also know of some who have failed. I'm reminded of the prophet Samuel when he was directed by the Lord to find a replacement for King Saul. And he tended to look at the outward appearance of a man as he reviewed Jesse's sons. Isn't that like us? When we meet somebody, first impressions are how they look before we give them a chance to express who they really are. In 2 Samuel 16, verse 11, the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, nor looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Doesn't that encourage us? When God can unzip who we are and look into the very depths of our heart, Scripture is replete with men who began the race strongly, but in the final lap or two, they failed. I think of Adam. Adam was created perfect. The Lord built him literally from the ground up. He breathed life into him, but he also breathed into him his, God's, spirit. And yet, Adam failed. I had the picture, assuming that Adam is in heaven, of a long line of people down through the ages wanting to speak to Adam. I imagine that it's going to be a very long line. Even though he was created perfect, Adam was not a robot because he was wired with free will. 
God gave him the ability to make a choice. And he gives you and I the same ability. Then there's Saul. 1 Samuel in chapter 9 says that Saul was an impressive young man. He was without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others, and he began well. He obeyed the Lord. He loved David. But he ended up hating David and disobeying God. Remember the bleating of the sheep that Samuel heard after Saul came back from battle? God had told him explicitly to kill all of the Amalekites, men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, donkeys, and camels. He didn't. Before the end of Saul, it was his own sword as the Philistines closed in. Then there's David. Uh, Perhaps this one is the most difficult to, to listen to, to consider. David loved God deeply, and all you have to do is read through the Psalms to realize how David loved God, how he trusted him in his devotion to the Lord. But David didn't end well either. He had a wandering eye. And that's a malady that's common among men, even today. He was drawn to a beautiful young woman, even though he had a number of wives. But his lust won out. And you know the story, Bathsheba uh, conceived. David had her husband put to the front of the battle lines where he was killed. A baby was born, but did not live. I could mention Solomon, one of David's sons who followed him as king. He had it all. He asked the Lord for a discerning heart so he could govern God's people, the ability to judge between right and wrong, and for wisdom. And God was pleased with his requests and additionally gave him wealth, long life, honor, so that he would have no equal among kings. His downfall included marrying many women, and it affected his loyalty to God and his treatment of his subjects through heavy taxes and conscription. On the brighter side, there were a number of people who began as unbelieving, fearful folks, but they were strengthened by Jehovah God. And you can read in Hebrews chapter 11, a list of the, Hebrew, the heroes of the faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. After Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, God took a small group of disciples, endowed them with his power, and they literally set the world on fire. I'm reading a book right now, Who Moved Moved the Stone? Who Moved the Stone from the Tomb? 
And the author mentions that there were nine disciples that were gathered with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There were 11, actually, and nine of them fled. But the Holy Spirit made a difference. Even the thief who hung on the cross next to the Lord Jesus is in heaven because he asked the Lord to remember him, to forgive him. You can't change the past. All of us have a past. We can't change it, but we can control the conclusion of our lives. We can stop and take a new direction. The tendency, however, is to keep things as they are. It's powerful. We cling to the familiar, no matter how unsatisfying or how unhappy it makes us. Great effort is required to make change, but we do have that control with God's enabling. So what controls how we finish well? I have six things that I have found helpful. Hopefully, they will be a help to you. Number one, let's start with grace. The choir sang of grace this morning, and I appreciated that deeply. David and I did not have any collusion in choosing that anthem, but it certainly fits in. We finish by the grace of God. This is the same way that we start the race, and that is what leads us to the end. John Newton said it well, "'Tis grace hath brought me thus far, and grace will lead me home." Let's pray, Lord, give me the grace to finish well. Secondly, we need to to live a well-focused life, focused on him, and the tasks that he gives us to do. Someone has called this the focus factor. We need to have a purpose in life, to know, to love, and to serve the Lord. We need to understand the gifts that he has given to us and then look for opportunities to use those gifts, assignments that he would give us that relate to those gifts. Those who finish well have clarity and a constancy of purpose. I think of Paul where he said in Philippians 3.13, this one thing I do. He had a focused life rather than a helter-skelter life. Third, we need to lead disciplined lives. Again, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, he pictures a runner, and he says that we should run the race to win, and he goes on to say, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I find myself disqualified. Then the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12.1, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily besets us, 
And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Number four, we need to have a teachable spirit. I don't know if you've ever met anybody who is a know-it-all. They walk among us sometimes, even scripturally, people who are set in their beliefs and sometimes will say, don't confuse me with the facts. My pastor friend that I referred to earlier said one time, words to the effect, the older I get and the more I study the Word of God, the fewer there are of things that I am convinced of. The basic tenets of the gospel, yes, yes, yes. But there are numerous non-essentials that leave room for interpretation. In Bible study fellowship, we often hear that the scriptures are true, but they're not always clear. We need to be lifelong learners. We need to be like Paul in 2 Timothy 4.13, where he encouraged Timothy to bring his books when he came. He was still learning right to the end. Number five, we need to have a well-networked life. What does that mean? We often hear when young people go wrong that they've chosen bad friends and those friends have influenced them negatively. We need to have people around us who love us, first of all, who love the Lord, and perhaps just one person, maybe more than one, that you allow to speak into your life. It could be a husband or a wife, but better probably someone from the outside someone that you walk with, that you relate to, that you trust, and that you give that permission to speak into your life, to encourage you, yes, but also to point out weaknesses when he or she might see them. When you run alone, someone has said, it's called a race. When God runs with you, It's called grace. Lastly, let's keep the end in view. Look at the things with the end in mind. Life's disciplines, positive habits that you have acquired or formed help you as you come to the end of the road. And thinking of a farmer who's plowing a field and he's not looking down at the furrow as the tractor goes along. He's got his eyes fixed on the end of the row in order to keep the line straight. I read a story a number of years ago about a visitor to a monastery and um, he was taken through the building and shown where the monks worshipped where they slept, where they ate, where they had uh, private time together. And then he went outside. He was taken outside to the garden where they raised a lot of the vegetables 
that they ate. And there was an older gentleman there bent over with a hoe moving down the row, hoeing at the ground. And the visitor said, sir, what would you do if you knew the Lord was coming today? His response was, I'd finish this row and I'd start the next. I read just the other day of President Kennedy's visit to Cape Canaveral. And on that visit, he saw a gentleman with a broom sweeping. And he said to the man, what are you doing? And his response was, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. You know, we all have a part in God's kingdom. I have a brother whose name is Horace. It's not a name that you hear frequently today. Uh, We called him Hork. He's with the Lord now, having died a few years ago after a long battle with lymphoma, a battle which he fought bravely. I had two brothers. My sister Barbara is here, but we brothers fought a lot. And uh, if I was honest with myself, I would have to say that I probably was the instigator of a lot of those fights, much to your surprise, I'm sure. It was in the closet, though. I was a closet fighter. And I can remember my mother standing in the kitchen, literally pulling her hair because we were fighting. When we grew up and left home, we uh, pretty much lost contact with each other, and our times together were infrequent because uh, we lived overseas and would get home only every three or four years. And we tried to have a family reunion then, and I would usually end up by myself in the living room while the rest of the siblings were in the kitchen because there was no relationship spiritually between us. My brother was a lifelong student, an avid reader. He majored in history. He uh, spoke Russian. This was his life. After fighting with alcoholism and seeking to break break the chains, he became an avid runner, and he ran many marathons. When he and I got together, um, we talked about running, since I had done a lot of running in my younger day, so we had something that we could focus on. At his memorial service, I met a young Catholic priest who was one of his running partners. And they had a a relationship, a great relationship. And he told me a little bit about my brother Horace's faith journey. It's rather fascinating, and I'd like to share some of it with you, some of the highlights from a letter that he wrote to my sister Barbara in July of the year 2000. It wasn't long before he died. His road to faith began in a hospital room where he was 
taking chemo treatment, and he reached into the drawer of the nightstand by the bed and pulled out a Bible and opened it to the book of Job. Have you ever heard of somebody coming to faith in Christ reading the book of Job? He did. He was an avid reader, as I mentioned, and some of the authors that he wrote are really over my head. I can't relate to them. But this will come out. I want to read the letter to you. This is what he wrote back in July 2000. I would hope eventually to be able to explain to anyone who might be listening just how I passed from the logical, rational, atheistic person to a deeply spiritual one, literally overnight. I ask God daily, how can I be a better person? Luther tortured himself with the question, how can I be saved? After much pain, he concluded, not by doing this or that, but by faith alone, sola fide. My conclusion is quite the same. If we get into an elaborate, rational process, we get lost. I must resist that, although I can't help but peek into the causes of my atheism. Hegel, one of my favorites, found the most basic human need is for recognition. When that doesn't come, for whatever reasons, we may leap into a behavioral pattern, atheism or intense belief that aims to correct our lack. I essentially denied God, saying, my own dad blew it, and no other mighty daddy can do any better. I will have to do it myself. When the burden is placed on self, it's a losing game. When Glenda hugged me years ago and said, trust in the Lord, it didn't mean much to me. Now it means everything. When the soul wends its way toward a cure without the world changing, it's within that counts. God is there waiting. It's for us to throw open the door. Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, used to annoy me with a simple leap of faith, but now it makes so much sense. God spoke to me at St. Joseph's Hospital exactly as he had spoken to Job. And then he quotes Job 10, verse 2. Would you condemn or deny me in order to justify yourself? I did that for decades. At last, it's over. My brother Horace finished well. At 64 years of age, he met his Savior. And hopefully he heard the words. I'm sure he did. Well done. So, how is it with you today? Are you running your race with the goal in sight? The road may be 
often is, arduous. But the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, walks, runs with you. I'd like to close very simply by leaving some scripture with you, some of my favorite verses from the book of Psalms, chapter 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, in whatever he does, he prospers. And then two verses from Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I be not full and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Happy Father's Day. Finish well. Father, thank you for life that you've given to us, for life in Christ, which makes an incredible difference in our outlook on life, who we are, and what we accomplish. Lord, uh, give us grace. We began this walk with grace. We continue it with grace. We end this life with grace. Keep us focused. Keep us disciplined. Make us teachable, Lord. Bring others around us who can encourage us in our faith, who can speak to our hearts. And then, Lord, help us to keep the end in sight. Even though we don't know when that end is, perhaps today, next week, next month, next year, many years, Lord, you've placed us here as your servants You've given us a vision of those who still need to hear the message. Enable us somehow through your love to reach out in love to others. And we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. We have been reminded this morning that the God of the Bible 
is a God of grace. And we have been reminded this morning that throughout the Bible, there are folks that sometimes we refer to as heroes of faith who turn out to be not such great heroes after all, but they are like you and they are like me. They need grace, like David and others that we could go on, those listed in Hebrews 11. And we're reminded that there is one human being and only one human being in the Bible who was a son of man, but also the son of God, who is the only hero. And we read about him in John 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Child of God, I'm so glad that I can say to you and I can say to my heart this morning, there is grace available for me today at the throne of grace. Some of you are suffering. Let's come to the throne of grace. Let's go to the throne of grace. Some perhaps are here who have yet to taste for the first time grace. And you need to come and taste God's grace that he offers through his son, the true hero, Jesus, who is full of grace and full of truth. And if you would like to talk with Tom or myself or Seth or someone else, and if you're a lady and would like to talk to one of our women, we, we could direct you to women in our church who would love to talk to you about God's grace through Jesus. Tom started reading Psalm 1, blessed is the man. That could be also translated happy, happy is the man. And we're going to sing a song that has that theme. Number 536, happy the home where God is there. The fourth verse is a prayer to the Lord. It's a short song. So we're going to sing all four verses, recognizing that when we get to that fourth verse, it's a prayer to the Lord. Lord, let us in our homes agree this blessed peace to gain. Unite our hearts in love to thee, and love to all will reign. Number 536, stand with us please. Amen. One of our deacons, Craig Deal, is going to come and lead us in prayer as we close our time of worship together. And then after Craig leads us in prayer, we'll sing together, God be with you till we meet again. Tom, I'm going to ask you if you would please join me out front there so we can greet folks this morning. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Craig, lead us. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> God, we come before you today <clears throat> bowed and humbled because we know that you are the only true, holy, and living God. We give you praise because you alone are worthy. Above your name, there is no other. We thank you for the blessings and the grace shown to us. And we ask forgiveness of our sins for what we have done and what we have left undone. Renew us each day, Father, and strengthen us to withstand the attacks of the enemy and the temptations of this world. Help us, Father, to walk in paths of righteousness, 
keeping faith in Jesus Christ, that the way we live each day speaks more loudly than what we say, that all we do affirms Jesus Christ as Lord and the power of the gospel. Father, we remember today our mission of the week, Fellowship International's mission, and John and Marilyn Asthma and their two sons who are serving the Lord in Ghana. We pray for them as they share the love of Christ with the Ghanaians and help to disciple them that they will accept Christ and know his forgiveness and salvation. Father, we also, again, remember those that we mentioned by name earlier, those whose health has been compromised, those who are sick, those who have suffered injury and disability. We just ask that you would give them grace sufficient for each day, that you would strengthen them, and if it be your will that they bring healing, that you bring healing to them and them back here to us in this fellowship. And we lift all of this to, your, to you in, in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.